Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. And in Hosea 4 verse 6, he says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, not lack of doing the right thing, not lack of effort, not lack of good intentions, lack of knowledge. You know, I've seen a few people in my life who thought they would be able to swim because they'd seen other people swim and they dived into pools and they couldn't swim. When I was very young, my cousin, who was five years younger than me, dived into a pool in Chimani Mani in Zimbabwe. We were in the middle of nowhere, and he dived in. He was five years old, and he couldn't swim, and I had to rescue him. He had lack of knowledge. His intentions were good, but he didn't know how to swim. And I've seen many others do that. My people perish, God says, for lack of knowledge. It's not that our intentions are bad. You say, oh, but I, I meant the right thing. But God says there are some things you've got to know. Amen? You know, in the business world, if somebody goes into investing, often investment companies will have a big warning that says, this investment is for uh, people who are knowledgeable, who know what they're doing. Please don't try this if you don't know what you're doing. Because if you invest your money without knowledge, you can lose all your money. And God says the same. But the question is, what is the knowledge that you and I are supposed to have? Let me read the rest of that verse. Hosea 4 verse 6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I will reject you from being priest before me. Because you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. So God says he's written some words. You know, the Bible is the most precious gift because even though culture can change, even though different people at different times and in different places can change the way they see the world, God's word is fixed forever. Psalm 119 says, your word is settled forever, O Lord. Jude chapter one. He says, contend for the faith that was given to us once for all. It's not gonna change. The scripture is sealed and finished. We can't add to the scripture. I heard about some crazy story who somebody in America has made a new translation of the Bible and they say an angel told them something and they're gonna add another chapter to the book of John. I said, what? That's just crazy talk, amen? So God's word is, is the biggest source of our knowledge, but in Hosea 4 verse one, so just a few verses before that, he said, um, hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel, for the Lord brings a charge against the inhabitants of the land. There is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. It's not just head knowledge of his word, it's knowledge of him. Jesus said, you search the scriptures, but they point towards me. The scriptures are vital and helpful and Wonderful, but they point towards God. And if you know the Bible, but you don't know God, you still perish for lack of knowledge because there's a person behind the word, amen? So my first challenge to us is please let's get off our prideful high horse and humble ourselves and say, Lord, is it possible that I need to learn some things? Lord, is it possible that I think I know some things from your word, but I've lost touch with the source of life, you. And God, please, would you help me? Amen? Yeah. 
But now I want to show you this other layer to this principle of my people perish for lack of knowledge. And it's something that we've been talking about for a few weeks now, about God's ways and God's deeds, God's seeds and God's swords. So the, the verse is 2 Timothy 1 verse 13, and this is Paul speaking to Timothy, his son in the faith, and he says this, hold fast the pattern of sound words which you've heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Let me read that again. He says, hold fast the pattern of sound words that you heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That's saying the same kind of thing as I've just said. We need knowledge. We need God's word. We need God and the knowledge of him. But I want to highlight a little word in that verse to you. He says, hold fast the pattern of sound words. And I have read that verse a hundred times and I've skipped over that word pattern. And this week the Lord just brought it to light to me. And I studied it and it occurs several other times in the New Testament and it's talking about a big picture, a pattern. And what Paul was saying to Timothy is it's not enough for you to just know the odd verse or bit of the Bible here and there. There is a big picture in the Bible called the pattern. <laughs> you know, there are many people who do evil things and do wrong things who use the Bible to justify their wrong things. Did you know that? There are many. There are many crazy people who are in prison for doing crazy crimes, and when they were on trial, they said, the Bible told me to do that. In South Africa, for many decades, people used the Bible to justify racism. There are people who've used the Bible to justify mistreating women, mistreating other races, um, even murder. There are people who say the Bible told me to cleanse, to, to smite the evildoers. Because what they've done is they've taken some of the Bible and what they've said is I'm going to use the Bible to justify what I, my evil desires, want to do. And actually, what Paul was saying to Timothy is it's not enough to just take a thread, you know, a beautiful, say, a purple thread from the Bible. It's beautiful but it's just one thread, and then take another thread there, and take another thread there, and I'm gonna weave it together, and I'm gonna to make my own picture. He says, no, there is a pattern, a big picture in Scripture that you will only get if you take all of Scripture together, you put it together, and then you get the pattern of sound teaching. And that is a very interesting concept. 2 Timothy 3 verse 16 says, all Scripture is God-breathed, and the way you know whether or not you've got the pattern correct is this, just a little helpful tip. Have you had to cross any verses out in order to make your theory work? That's it, it's so simple. You know, there are many theological theories that sound so good, but if you press into them a little bit and you start investigating them, they've had to ignore some verses to make it work. <clears throat> so there's a popular theory now going around that says people will go to hell when they die, but after a thousand or ten thousand or a hundred thousand years, they'll still be able to repent when they're in hell, and eventually hell will be empty and everyone will be in heaven. 
It's called universalism. But they've had to cross out a whole lot of verses where Jesus says eternal fire, eternal damnation. They've had to ignore bits of the Bible or explain it away so that it doesn't work. There are many examples of this. And over my years as being a Christian, of being a Christian, I've had the joy and the privilege and sometimes the difficulty of having to debate with people. And it always comes down to this. Sometimes I've had to change and say, you know what? I didn't realize I was ignoring that verse. I was discounting that verse. I was, in effect, crossing it out with a pen. And when I put it back in, then I get the pattern of Scripture. And many times I've had to say to them, you are effectively saying that verse does not count. And when somebody says that, the picture they've drawn is wrong. Amen? But we can get it. Paul says to Timothy, you can get this pattern of sound teaching. And now I want to apply it. The reason I felt so strongly of the Lord to do this sermon series called Seeds and Swords or Ways and Deeds, God's Ways and Deeds, is because I really believe that it's an overview, it's a big picture pattern of Scripture that we as believers need to get. And I felt a burden in my heart for Christians who have got a hobby horse um, doctrine or belief or, or emphasis in their Christian life. And they just love going on about this one little part of the Bible. And God is saying to you and to I, don't forget the pattern, the big picture of Scripture. It's so important because you can get waylaid where you've just, you've taken a few of your favorite threads, you've woven a picture, and God says, put them in the big picture, and then you see this pattern of the whole of Scripture that is so beautiful. And one of the important parts of that is understanding that the first few chapters of Genesis are seed concepts that are more important than other parts because they were God's first intention. Then they got damaged and perverted by human sin and God had to put swords in place throughout the Bible to correct and to rescue and to prune and to straighten and to save. But if we don't see the pattern, the big picture, it is possible for us to think we're following a Jesus, but it's a Jesus of our own making. To think we're following God, but we've made God in our image instead of being made in the image of God. And when we get to meet the real Jesus at the end of time, we're gonna be confused. Hold on. I thought you were different. He said you didn't see the big pattern because you'd lost the, the concept of the, the big picture, the seeds that I put in place in the beginning and then the swords through time. I hope that's helpful to you. And you might say, Greg, that sounds awfully theoretical. What does that mean practically? Well, A, it means keep reading the whole of the Bible. Please don't just read your favorite verses, amen? Read it all. You say to me, gee whiz, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, hard stuff. I agree. But there is something in there for us. And when you understand its place in the big picture of seeds and swords, the, the initial concepts and then the swords, suddenly it helps you to read Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and some of those other books because it gives you the bigger picture. So let's read it all. Let's enjoy it all. Let's digest it all. Sometimes it helps 
to have a study guide where you read something and then somebody has done the work of putting some cross-references so you see how that cross-references to the New Testament and to Psalms and to other places so you can see its context in the big picture. And I wanna just make a little advertisement now for the Blue Letter Bible on, the, on devices and computers which has a cross-references tab on any verse you read. You just click, right-click, cross-references and it shows you a whole lot of different verses so you can see the bigger picture and then you can go into the Greek and the Hebrew and you can understand the word and we can get the big picture rather than just being like babies who want milk which is something tasty and nice but it doesn't really get into the word, amen? So let's read it all. Secondly, God says, you will seek me and find me when you seek for me with all your heart. Let's continue to be seekers, searchers for knowledge and for God's word instead of thinking, well, I know enough. I, I'm, I'm clever enough. I know the Bible now. I just wanna, I wanna be motivated instead of taught. When we get to the stage where we wanna go to church just to be motivated by emotion, there's a problem because we always have something more we can learn from the Lord, amen? So you say to me, what are those initial seeds? I've, I've summarized them into five big categories, but there is more. And this whole series, we've been going through those initial seeds and then talking about how they were modified by God's swords throughout the Bible. But let me just summarize them again for you. Right, so relationships is one of those initial ones where God said, I want humans to be in relationships with other humans. It's not good for man to be alone. And I wanna be in relationship with man. Relationships is one of the original seeds. And if that breaks, if that relationship between God and man breaks, or man and man breaks, other parts of the machine break. Relationships, very, very important. Sowing and reaping. We spoke about this the last couple of weeks. But it's so important that actually God wanted sowing and reaping to work to bring blessing, but when we sin, sowing and reaping still works, but now it's called justice. When if I do wrong, there is a punishment that will be applied. And again, this is something that modern Christians, because we love grace, and we accept grace, and we say God has paid for my sins, we think that sowing and reaping, action brings about a reaction. For every sin, there is a a consequence, we think that's gone away. It hasn't gone away, it's just Jesus took it for us, but it still applies, and we've gotta understand this. It's one of the seeds, it's part of the big picture of God's word. Justice has never gone away, it's just Jesus has taken our punishment. And when you minimize justice, when you say, oh, sin doesn't matter anymore, you've missed part of the big picture. Sowing and reaping is such an important part, so relationships. Sowing and reaping, the big mission where God said to Adam and Eve, go and fill the earth and subdue it. God wanted them to extend the little garden of Eden over the whole planet and God's mission and wanting to work with human beings to extend himself and his power over the whole earth has never changed. It's just been modified because of human sin. Delegated authority. The fact that God put seeds in place in plants and animals, but also in giving authority to human beings. He put seeds in place and then he stood back and he said, now I'm gonna rest on the seventh day. Let's see how it continues without me. Man, you have delegated authority. 
We, if we misunderstand that, if we think that God is now interfering with every little thing, we've misunderstood the big picture, the pattern of God's word. And then lastly, free will. The fact that God saw Eve go to the tree, God heard the serpent speaking to Eve, God heard Eve speak to Adam and say, what should we do? And Adam and Eve together decided they were going to eat the fruit and God did not intervene. That is free will and that has never changed. And when we misunderstand that, even though it's been perverted and twisted and God's had to do some things to help us over the time, that's one of the seeds that has never changed. If we misunderstand that, we misunderstand the pattern of Scripture. And so I want to just show you three stories from Jesus' life, where he corrected people's misunderstandings. Matthew 22, verse 29. Jesus answered and said to them, you are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. Jesus speaking to the Sadducees. Have you heard of the Sadducees? They were called Sadducees because they were sad, you see. They didn't believe in the supernatural. They didn't believe in the spirit realm. They thought it was all just matter and physics and what you can measure and sense with your five senses. And so they said, they taught, they were religious people, but they taught there is no resurrection. Once you die, you die and you cease to exist, there is no more. And they came to Jesus with a riddle and they said, you know how in the Old Testament, if a man is married to a woman and he dies, then his brother has to marry her? It was called the Leveret Law of Marriage. And they said there was a man. They gave him a hypothetical situation. They said there was a man, and he married a woman. He died. His brother married her. He died. His brother married her. He died. Seven brothers married one woman. They said, how can resurrection be true? Because when they get to heaven, whose wife will she be? Ha ha, Jesus, we got you. And Jesus said, you are mistaken because you do not know the scriptures and you do not know the power of God. My people perish for lack of knowledge. You don't understand the Bible and you don't understand a supernatural God who can speak and creation can come into existence. And he was saying to them, your knowledge is too small. Amen? That's what he was saying. Your knowledge, your, your understanding of God and the world is too small and you're proud because you think you know it all so much so that you'll challenge me, but he says you don't understand the scriptures, and then he showed them some scriptures where God calls himself the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He said, why would God call himself the, the God of three dead people if they weren't still alive? People remain after they die, and he showed them the scriptures, but then he said, God is great, and open your mind a bit to realize you don't know everything, and they were shocked because they had an understanding, but it was limited. And I read that story, and I'm challenged. And I say, God, is it possible that I don't know the scriptures as well as I think I do? God, is it possible that I have limited your power? And I think I know I've got it all fixed and sorted, but actually, God, you are more powerful and big that I could, than I could ever imagine. Amen? So that's the first time Jesus tried to correct people's understanding their knowledge. Second time is in Matthew chapter 19. A rich young ruler came to Jesus and he said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
And Jesus knew, because Jesus knows people's hearts, that this man thought he was good because of the good things that he'd done. He goes on where Jesus lists the Ten Commandments, and he says, I've kept all of those. He thought he was good enough. And in Matthew 19, verse 17, Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. He was trying to show him that actually sowing and reaping still applies, and even if you've done one thing wrong, you're gonna reap death, you deserve to reap death. And, and so he told him the Ten Commandments, he said, I've kept all of them. Jesus knew he hadn't kept all of them, and so he picked one of them, which is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He said, you love your riches more than you love God. Go and sell everything you have and give to the poor, and then follow me. And the man went away sad, because he perished for lack of knowledge and he wasn't willing to open his heart to the sowing and reaping and the fact that actually none of us can reap heaven. We need to cry out to God for salvation. One more. Matthew 13, verse 24. Another parable he put forth to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares or weeds among the wheat and went his way. Now Jesus is telling them a parable to try and give them a bigger understanding of the world because they were saying, if God is good, why is there evil in the world? If God is good, why do babies die? Why is that person being horrible to me? Why is there injustice? Why don't I get the job promotion that I deserve? If God is good and I'm a believer, why does bad stuff happen? And Jesus was saying, it's a lack of knowledge. You need to see the bigger picture. And he said, there was a farmer who sowed good seed in his soil, but an enemy came and sowed some weeds. Let me read on. When the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares or the weeds also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds, tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. There is an enemy. You see, many people have misunderstood. We say there is no longer an enemy. There is no devil. God is all powerful. And if anything bad happens, well, God let it happen anyway. So it was God in the first place. And actually, Jesus was saying there is an enemy and he's doing things which God doesn't like, but a time will come where God puts it right, judgment day. But let me read on. The servant said to him, do you want us to go and gather them up? In other words, God, why don't you get involved and stop the evil people doing what they're doing? God, why don't you stop the thieves, the robbers, the unfaithful spouses, the whatever, the evildoers? God, why don't you get involved and stop that president from abusing the people in his country? God, get involved, stop the evil. The servant said, do you want us to go? And he said, no, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. He was saying, if I interfere with free will, I have to close up the whole shop. I have to stop the whole thing because I can't interfere with that evil person's free will without interfering with the good person's free will. And so if I uproot the weeds, I'll uproot the wheat as well. That's gonna happen at the end of time. 
I wonder if you're starting to get your mind opened a little bit. He goes on to say, Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather together the weeds and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. He says there will come a day where sowing and reaping is applied accurately. There will be justice for the evil and the good. It will come, but for now they grow together. And what was happening was the disciples' understanding of the big picture was getting expanded. I want to just give you a couple of examples of people in the world who have understood the principle of of, of ways and deeds, and it's helped them in their, in their lives. So, in the Olympics in 1968, the high jump event, Mexico City, 1968, everybody did high jump in the same way. There was the scissors and there was the barrel roll, but effectively they were the same style. They would run straight at the high jump bar and they would jump and they would try and get their body and their legs over. Some, some of them would go scissors, some of them would roll over, but it was all effectively the same thing. And there was a young engineer called Dick Fosbury and he understood physics and mechanics and engineering and he drew pictures and he, he worked out how can a human body get over a high bar the most efficient way. He used his brain. He used the laws and the, and the rules of nature and physics, and he said, I'm gonna come up with a new way that no one's ever jumped over a high jump bar before, and he won the gold medal, two meters, 24 centimeters. He was higher than everyone else because he did the Fosbury flop, and he worked out how to flip his body backwards over the, over the bar, and everybody since then has said, wow, of course, we should have all been doing that, but he understood the bigger picture. In swimming, for many, many years, there were three strokes. There was the crawl or the freestyle, there was the backstroke, and there was the breaststroke. And the rules of breaststroke were that both sides of your body must do the same thing. There must be symmetry down the middle of your body. So if this arm's doing this, then this arm must do the same, and the legs must do the same. And in, in 1938, somebody, a guy called Volner Wilson, I think his name was, said, you know what, I can keep obeying the rules of breaststroke by doing symmetrical strokes, but I'm gonna bring my arms out of the water and my legs are gonna kick like a dolphin and I'm gonna do the butterfly, and they said, that's not allowed, you're disqualified. But he understood the rules and he appealed it. He said, look, I'm keeping the rules, like you said. And eventually, they said, okay, you're right we're gonna make a new stroke called the butterfly. But all it was, was a guy who was understanding the rules, he won the race, they disqualified him because they said, whoa, somebody's thinking outside the box. Jesus came along and he thought outside the box. He said, I understand the rules of nature, but I understand the principles, the ways of God and he said, this is how it works. There is more. There is more than just what our eyes and senses can, can measure. There is a greater world. There is eternity to come. And if you understand God's ways and his deeds correctly, you can have eternal life and you can overcome. And he healed people. He raised the dead. He did miracles. And he showed them always, pointed them back to the Bible. He said, it's the scriptures and the power of God. You'd misunderstand because you don't know the scriptures and the power of God and he showed them God's ways. 
Friends, I want us to not just be people who just paddle along in the swimming pool, who just keep our heads above water and we say, I think I know God's ways, I think I know, no. I want us to be people who search the scriptures, who cry out to God, who say, God, I wanna know your scriptures and you. I want your knowledge to fill me and I wanna become like those people who could do great things, great exploits. Daniel 11, 32, he says, the people who know God will be strong and will do great exploits. My people perish for lack of knowledge, but the flip side of that is if we know our God and if we continually are learning more and more of God, we can thrive, we can overcome, we can do great, great exploits for God. And so that's why we're doing this series. God's ways and God's deeds, God's seeds and God's swords. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes. And please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.